How you doing? Good morning. Hey, welcome to The Journey. My name is Chad. I'm the pastor here. If this is your first time here, thank you for hanging out with us today. If you're in this place, if you're at home, online, wherever you're watching from, we are glad that you are with us and you're wondering, why is he caring about it's protection? I'm trying to make sure that no crazies come up here and try to take me out. No, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Last week I started out, I told you that I attended Wake Forest University. And I was there four years, didn't graduate. That's a long story. That's for some other day. But anyway, um, my sophomore and junior years, I actually played baseball there. And people hear that and they're like, whoa, you played D1 baseball. You must have been an amazing baseball player. And the answer is no. <laughs> it was not that good at all. Again, another story I'll use for some other sermon illustration, how I made the team. But I was a catcher, right? And in high school, into my high school career, summer ball was playing catcher. Um, as you know, the prototypical catcher was six foot three and 175 pounds, which I was, which is about the same size I am today. But, um, you know, that was, that was back in the day. But I made the team, I was a catcher, but my role was to be the bullpen catcher. Now, I don't know what you know about baseball. If you don't know a lot about baseball, let me kind of explain my job. My job was to take care of everybody. <laughs> um, when it was a game time, my job was to get the starters ready for the game so I was in the bullpen catching them up uh, when the game was going on if the starter was playing pretty poorly then my job was to get the relievers ready for to go into the game and then my job was to get all these other pitchers we had about 15 16 pitchers on our staff my job was to get all of them ready because they may not be pitching that day but they had to do throwing uh, on their off days and so I was there to take care of that and then if anybody was going into the game in some other position my job was to get them warm so they could go out and play. And so my job during game times, during the practice was seven days a week, four to five hours a day, you would find me in the bullpen doing what they had asked me to do. And it was a grind. But I loved it. I loved that I had the opportunity to do that. Season has started. So my sophomore year, we were drubbing UNC Asheville. The score was like 20 to 2. It was the bottom of the eighth inning. There were two outs. And all of a sudden, I hear my name. I hear Simpkins. Now, usually when my name was yelled, it was Simpkins, get in the bullpen. Simpkins, grab that equipment. Simpkins, go get me a tall macchiato caramel latte mocha. I mean, that's what I always heard after my name, Simpkins. But this time, it's just Simpkins. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? So I stood up because... When you're a bullpen catcher, you're crouching all day. And I'm crouching, I popped up, and it was my, our, our head coach who was playing, or it was actually over on third base, coaching third base. And I look at him, and I'm like, what do you want me to do? He's like, do you want to hit? I looked at him, looked at our pitching coach that was in the bullpen with me, looked back at my head coach, and I could tell there was words going through his mind that I cannot share with you right now because he knew I was wasting time. And the, the, <laughs> the pitching coach was like, Go. You remember the movie, Forrest Gump? <laughs> he has the braces on, he starts running, and they just start flying off. That was me running from the bullpen to the dugout to get my stuff. I mean, I'm just tossing uh, catcher's equipment off of me like crazy. I run in the dugout, I grab my helmet, I put it on. I grab my trusty 33-inch green Easton. Some of you, you remember those back in the day. Ran up into uh, to the, the batting area and I'm looking around and I, I take one swing because I notice everybody's watching me because they've kind of stopped the game so I could get my stuff ready. And, and I get up to the plate. I look at the head coach over at third base and he's like, come on, I put you in there to hit. Let's go, let's hit. Step into the batter's box. First pitch comes. 
It's a curveball. I see it plainly. It's coming down the middle of the plate, but it goes down low and away. I'm like, oh, I'm going to let that go. That's a ball. And so I let it go, and the first thing I hear is strike one. And the lights go out when you say strike one, right? <laughs> strike one. And, uh, and I look back at the umpire. I'm just kind of like, what is going on? And I look at my coach, and we had a moment. Because he starts yelling at the umpire. He's like, that's terrible. I mean, he was saying words to the umpire again. I can't repeat right now. He's like, I can't believe you're doing that. And I look at the coach again. He's like, come on, get back in there. So I get back in there. Second pitch comes. Pitcher's smart. He's throwing a ball outside, and the umpire's called it a ball. And so he, he's like, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw the exact same pitch. And so he throws a curveball. It comes right down the middle of the plate. It's down low and away. In my mind, I know what I've got to do. I'm like, the first one was called about. Now, you don't have this much time to talk to yourself. you got like less than a second. But when you're telling the story some years later, you can kind of think through the whole process. And so I'm like, that was a ball. I've got to swing. So the pitch comes, exact same place. I swing with everything I have. Thought I had my eye on the ball. Strike two. Jump out of the batter's box. Look at my coach. He's like, hey, come on, you got two strikes, got to hit. Get back in there one more time. I know what's coming. Everybody knows what's coming. The pitcher knows what's coming. He throws me a curveball, exact same spot, starts in the middle of the plate, go down low and away. And again, I'm sitting there thinking, I got to swing. Ball comes, I start to swing, and that leads us into week three of Confessions of a Pastor. <laughs> Over the last few weeks, I've been sharing these confessions that I have of uh, struggles and, and tensions in, in my life, and I share these because I believe these are things that you struggle with too. Uh, the first week, I said I'm normal. Like, I'm not a super Christian. I'm not a super pastor. I don't have super abilities. I'm just a normal guy who, who leads a church, and, and, and we're in this life thing together. We're in this church community together. Last week, I said I have doubts. That there are these doubts that I have that when I, I look at Scripture and I look at the world around me and I, I sometimes question, like, where's God in this? And how does this play out? I don't quite understand this. There are these, these doubts that I have, but the importance of how strong my faith is helps me deal with those doubts. And I ask those questions. And I seek those answers. And, and even though there still may be some doubts there, I, I still have this incredible faith that God's going to lead me through them. Well, this week, my confession is one that I think hits all of us. My confession number three is that I fear failure. I fear failure. Now, what does that look like for me? Well, uh, as a pastor, I, I fear failing as a pastor of this church. I, I fear that this church won't grow. I, I fear that, that income won't be above expenditures. I fear people won't take their next steps towards Jesus. I, I fear that we won't be a, a help in our community I fear that, that you won't like me or, or want to be around me. I have these fears. I fear failure in this role that I have as a pastor. I fear failure as a dad. That someday my kids are going to look back and they're going to say, hey, you know, he was a good guy, but he wasn't a great dad. He wasn't there for us. He didn't help us spiritually. We're in this place we are now because he wasn't great at what he did. I, I fear failure as a father. I fear failure as a husband. I fear that, again, my wife will look back and say, hey, you were a good guy, but you weren't really what I needed. You weren't there for me. You didn't help me. And I fear this failure as, as a husband. I mean, my list could go on and on and on and on of these, these fears that I have. 
But I've come to this realization that every one of us fears failure. And the failure that I fear and these failures that I struggle with, guess what? I, I think they're failures that you fear too. I'm, I'm guessing you fear failure when it comes to your career. You fear that you're going to fail, fail your team and the people that are under you and the people that are above you or the business that you've started, you fear that's going to fail. You, you fear your relationships, that they're going to be failures too, that you're going to fail as, as a mom, as a dad, as a, as a child, as a husband, as a wife, as a fiance, as someone you're dating. You, you have these same fa- fear of failures that, that I do. And of course, I think all of us fear this failure of who we are spiritually. Because everyone fears failure. And failure is not really that great of a motivator sometimes. Sometimes we get stuck in that fear and never move ahead. Guy Winch is a PhD, a licensed psychologist. And he once wrote, he said, everyone hates to fail. But for some people, failing presents such a significant psychological threat that their motivation to avoid failure exceeds their motivation to succeed. That sometimes our fear of failure motivates us more because we don't want to fail. We're afraid to move anywhere. That we're not motivated to succeed. He throws this in there too. He says this. He says, the fear of failure elicits feelings such as disappointment, anger, frustration, sadness, regret, and confusion. Think about those emotions that he talks about there. Nobody wants those emotions. Right? None of us want to experience those emotions. And so, so many times we're stuck in this fear of failure because we're afraid to move ahead. We don't want to feel disappointment and anger and resentment, sadness. We don't want to feel these emotions in our life. And so we don't step out of this place that we're stuck in. We, we just live in this, this fear of failure all the time. And we're never motivated to succeed. But this fear of failure... It's not a gift God has given us. If you look in the New Testament, we have these letters a guy named Paul wrote. He writes some of these letters to specific churches, and some he writes to groups of churches, but then some he writes to specific people. And if you look at the, the ones particularly to this guy named Timothy, he, he gives this incredible word of wisdom through this writing to Timothy. Now, Timothy's his disciple. Timothy is a student of Paul's. Uh, Paul's investing in Timothy. He's helping him become a better leader, better pastor, better church planter. And, and Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Those words hit home to me. That too many times when I'm stuck over here and I have this fear of failure, I have to realize this fear of failure, this isn't a gift that God has given me. This is a gift that the world has given me. This is something the world has said, hey, you need to fear failure. You need to stay stuck in that place. But God didn't give us that fear. See what God gave us? God gives us his power, his love, and self-discipline. And yet too many times I can find I'm stuck in this fear of failure. And when we're stuck in this fear of failure, it can be crippling to us. Again, we can be stuck there and and not move and and not know what to do next. That's why I love the story of Gideon. Uh, I've shared the story of Gideon a, a few times. It's just, I think Gideon is like every person. Gideon just fits all of us so well. When we look at Judges chapter 6, we read about Gideon. And as we look at the first little bit of Gideon, we find Israel's in a tough place. 
Uh, the Midianites have come into their land. They've taken over their land. Any crops the Israelites have planted and have grown, the Midianites come in, they get what they want, and then they burn everything else down. They've taken all their livestock. I mean, Israel is in a, and this is in a terrible, terrible place. And in Judges 6, starting with verse 6, here's what we read. It says, so Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Well, how did they get to this place? Well, you know much about Israel. You know that they have this tendency to follow God. God's like, here's what you need to do. They follow God. Things are great. And at some point, they decide God's not good enough for them. They need to do things on their own. And so they start making their own decisions. They get themselves in trouble. God says, hey, change your ways or you're going to be punished. And they're like, no, we got this, God, we're fine. They don't change their ways. And God's like, here's your punishment. And every single time, it's like this group of people, this other nation comes in and takes over the land. And so this is happening to them again. And, and here they are. And this is about seven years in. And the Israelites are struggling. And they go to God and they're like, God, can you help us? If there's ever an example of grace and mercy over and over again, it's God towards the Israelites. Because God continues to show this incredible grace and mercy to them. Because he's like, okay, I'll help you out. Look at verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. I don't know about you, but if an angel of the Lord shows up and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm like, you know it. God's recognized something in me. I've got some abilities. I've got some strength, and God sees that. But look how Gideon responds in verse 13. He says, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. See how he responds? He responds with questions. He responds with doubts. He responds with fear. He's like, well, if God's with us, then why are we still here? Why, why do we still struggle? Why do we feel abandoned? Why are we still hurting? I mean, everybody tells us about these great stories of how God led our people out of Egypt. We're not seeing that happen right now. What's the story here? What, what's happening? Where is God? Look at verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Do you notice something in the story changes there? At the very beginning, we had this angel of the Lord that was there that was talking to Gideon. And now it says the Lord is there and turns to Gideon and says, Gideon, I'm with you. Gideon, I'm going to give you my strength. Gideon, I'm going to work through you. Gideon, you are going to be the person I'm going to use to save the Israelites. Again, you, you think about that. You're like, if you're Gideon, you're like, this is great. We've got this huge endeavor in front of us, this big adventure. I'm ready for this. Let's make this happen. And that was not Gideon's response at all. Look at verse 15. He says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. He makes excuses. There's this fear of failure there, and he looks at his tribe, you know, because every year they would rank the tribes, like 1 through 12, who's the best and who's the worst. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. They really didn't do that. But, 
it sounds like there may have been that kind of going on. And he's like, my tribe, it's the worst out of all the 12 of them. Like we're at the bottom. My family in that tribe, it's like the worst of, of, of all the families in the tribe. And me, I'm the worst in my family. He's like, I'm a nobody. I can't do this. I've got no gifts, no abilities whatsoever. I don't get in stuck in this fear of failure. He's afraid that if he does this, that, that he will fail in what God has in store for him. When I look at Gideon thousands of years ago, it's a reminder to me that everyone fears failure. That every single one of us fear failure in some capacity in our life. But how do we get beyond that? How do we move from being stuck and really motivate, motivated to stay in this place of failure? And how do we move over here to, to this motivation to succeed in life? What, what does this look like for us? And so I want to share with you these three things that have helped me kind of move beyond the sphere of failure. Even when it hits me, when it's there, I can, I can go back and say, okay, here's some things I've got to remember. Here, here's the first thing you've got to remember. You will fail. All right, there's no question about it. It doesn't make any difference who you are, what you're doing. You will fail. Now, the thing we need to remember about failing is that it's an event, See, we kind of get stuck and, and see failure as, as just this whole piece of our life. But failure is actually just an event that happens in our life. It, it's a moment in time. Now, now sometimes that, that moment is long, right? It, it could be weeks. It could be years. It, it could be a long failure. But it's just that. It's just a moment. It's an event. And yet sometimes we, we treat it like it's our whole life. But there's another piece to this that we fear failure because we don't want the disapproval of other people. There's a narrative that we write today that our lives are, are wonderful. They're, they're perfect. Go on social media. What do you see people posting? They're talking about their job accomplishments. They're talking about their family accomplishments. They're talking about the brand new house they just bought. They're talking about this great trip they just went on. And I'm not saying those are bad things to put online, all right? But sometimes we look at that, we think to ourselves, like, their lives is great. I mean, their life is going amazing. Everything seems to be perfect for them. But here I am. I'm a failure. And nobody else seems to be putting their failures out there, so I'm not going to let anybody know that I'm a failure because if I let people know I'm a failure, they're going to look at me and they're going to disapprove of who I am. They're not going to want to be around me. They're not going to want to spend time with me. Why? Because I'm a failure. And so we have this perception in, in our minds that, that everyone else's life is not a failure, but ours is. And we get stuck in that place. Like we have to understand that we will fail. It's not an option. It's reality. Every single one of us, we will fail. And if that can be our beginning point, then I believe we can move toward healing when we're stuck with that fear of failure. Second thing I would say, is that we have to understand that you can overcome failure. That failure is a part of growth. That we learn from failure. It's famously said that Thomas Edison, it took him 10,000 tries to make the light bulb. And, and so he was asked about this. And here's what he said. He says, I have not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. I mean, isn't that the epitome of someone who doesn't give up, who's overcome failure? Think about if he had stopped when he failed that first time. Those lights that turned off a second ago, we wouldn't have them, right? Because he kept trying. He's like, hey, 
I failed here, but I kept trying. I kept trying. This may have been a failure. This may, have, but but it wasn't about failure for me. It was about learning. It was about growing. We could look in the business world because I, I know we've got people in the business world here, and there's probably business leaders you look up to that you follow. You've read their books, their autobiographies, biographies, whatever it may be, and you look at them. Did they get to be successful because they never failed? No, you go back and you read their story and it's failure after failure after failure after failure. But they didn't get stuck in that failure. That fear of failure didn't keep them in that place. They moved ahead. They were motivated to succeed and they were able to do that. Again, we can look at people in the business world. We can look at people's lives. We, we can look at people who've struggled with things like sin, addiction. And I love the stories of when someone says, hey, this is where I was and this was the addiction that I struggled with. But you know what? <laughs> I kept failing, but there was always someone there with me. There was always this connection to God. I continued to move forward. I was motivated to succeed, and now I'm in a better place because I learned from my past. I grew from my past, and now here I am today, and I'm helping other people walk these same steps with me. Like We can overcome failure in our life, but we have to be willing to do it. Sin is one of those things that catches us up. Sin is one of those things that will keep us in this, this place of feeling like we have failed over and over again. But I think there's something that we need to remember here, that we, when we're following Jesus, and again, we look back at the Israelites and the relationship with God, they failed over and over and over again, and God was still there for them, with grace and mercy. And you and I, we sin and we fail over and over again, but God's still there with us. And the beauty is when we follow Christ, we have the ability to get back up. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, the writer writes, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get back up again. But, only, but one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Like when you're following God, when you're doing all you can to follow Jesus, you will fail, you'll fall down, but there's that grace and mercy to help you get back up again. But those that don't have that, they're going to be stuck right here. They're not going to move out of this place of failure. Maybe some of you, you need something a little bit more secular for you to kind of understand this. So I found one of the great philosophers of our time, uh, Chebawamba, and um, in their treatise, Tub Thumping, they said, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. They say those words about 7,000 times in the song, if you're familiar with it, and you'll be singing it in your head, and it's not really that great of a song. But anyway, it's the truth. You can get knocked down over and over and over again. And if you follow Jesus, the beauty is you can get right back up. Like we can overcome this fear of failure that we struggle with, that we don't have to be stuck, that we can actually move forward. What does it take for us to do that? What's this last piece here that you must take a risk? You must take a risk. The fear of failure will keep us stuck. But for us to move beyond that, to get beyond being motivated not to fail and, and motivated to succeed, we've got to take that first step, right? We're talking about faith here. Do we have what it takes to take that risk, that, that faith risk, to take that step so that we can move beyond this place that we feel stuck? Too many times we ask the question, what if? 
what if I start this business and it's not the right time or I don't get the funding or things don't work out the way or nobody wants my product? What if? Or in relationships, we ask that question, what if, you know, here's this person that, that I really want to spend my life with and people around me who are godly and Christ-like are like, this is a person you need to be with. But I look back at all the relationships I've had in my life and, and they've all been broken, they've all been hard, they've all been terrible. But what if the same thing happens? What if it's me? See, we get stuck in the sphere of failure. We ask this question, what if? And sometimes we don't take that next step. We don't take that faith step. We don't take that risk that's there. Because I believe many times we forget who's with us. We forget that we're not doing this alone. We forget that it takes faith to take these steps in our lives. If you go back to Judges chapter 6, verse 16, God says this to Gideon. He says, I will be with you. He's like, Gideon, you're not going to do this alone. Gideon, this is not something where I want you to be stuck in this place. I will be with you. I'm going to give you my strength. I'm going to give you my abilities. I'm going to, I'm going to help you. I'm going to lead with you. I'm going to use you, Gideon, to lead Israel to where I want to take it. But here's the deal. I am going to be with you. And I think this is the moment where Gideon finally gets it. Gideon's like, okay. Now, he still has some doubts. If you know the story, he actually goes back to God. He's like, hey, God, can you give me a couple of signs? And God does that. But in the end, Gideon has 300 men that God says, these are your guys, and you're going to defeat these thousands of Midianites through these 300 guys. And with 300 guys, Gideon is able to defeat the Midianites. Why? Well, because of God. Because God is right there, and God says, I will be with you. And Gideon is able to make that happen. See, sometimes we have this fear of failure in our life and career, relationships, our spiritual life. We, we have this fear and it keeps us stuck. And we, that we're afraid to move forward. But God says, hey, I'm here for you. I'm with you. I just need you to take that first step and I will lead you. And it may not be exactly what you think it's going to be, but I'm going to be there with you and I will strengthen you and I will give a part of me to you. And in the end you'll truly experience what this is like to follow my lead. 11 years ago, my uh, family and I, we moved to North Carolina, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, to plant a church. And if you've ever been, um, I don't think we have any church planters in our church, but if you've ever planted a church with a church planter, you've been a part of a church plant, you know it's not easy at all. We moved down to North Carolina, didn't know anybody to go plant this church, and you know we had all these great people behind us that were like, hey, Man, we believe in you guys. We support you guys. You know, you guys are going to be awesome. You, you know, the, the, the abilities you have, the giftedness you have. I mean, God's going to bless this church. It's going to grow. It's going to be amazing. And so there, there's this part of fear of failing those people, right? Like you believe fully in who I am and what I can do and what we can do. And, and yet there's still this, I don't want to fail you. We had funders who jumped in, organizations, churches, individuals, we said, hey, this is what we, we're going to do. This is where we're going to go. This is what the church is going to look like. We're going to plant. And they were like, man, we're behind this mission. We love you. You're going to be great. You're going to be amazing. It's going to grow a great church. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, we'll, we'll fund you. Guess what? You're stuck in this fear of failure, afraid that you're going to fail these people who have invested time and money into you. 
And then there's the, the fear of, of myself, like thinking about this, like all these people are, are putting their trust and faith in us to do this. And, and then internally, I mean, I want to succeed. I want this to go well. And I've got these expectations of what this church is going to look like and what it's going to look like in a year and three years and five years. And, and man, this is going to be great. What, what, what if it's not quite what we expected? And so there's this constant fear of failure just kind of going through my mind all the time. About four years in, five years in, uh, this church plant was nowhere near what we had expected. Uh, we were running about 90 people every single Sunday morning. I mean, thankfully, we were able to take care of ourselves financially and, and to continue to keep our doors open, and we were still reaching people. But, but when you have these expectations in your mind, and you feel like all these other people have these expectations for you, and, and you get to this place where you look back and you're like, I think I failed. I, I think I, I haven't done what God's called me to do, and I, I feel like I've failed. And, and so there's this fear of, of failing that's there. One of our leadership team members, he had helped us plant the church. Uh, he was a, a church planter, had helped plant many churches in the Triangle area of North Carolina. His name is Mark Kitts, and sat down at lunch on a Chick-fil-A one day with him and just kind of opened up and like, man, this is where I am, what I'm feeling, what I've experienced. And he looked at me and he's like, Chad, this isn't your church. He's like, you need to understand this is God's church. God's just called you to do something. God said to you like, hey, I want you to step out of this place that you may feel stuck and I want you to take this risk and I have this, you gotta have this faith in me that I'm gonna lead you, Chad. But, but this isn't your church. This is God's church. And God will do what God wants to do with this church. Like that was one of the most freeing things I'd ever heard. Because I, I did. I had this fear that I was failing people. I had this fear that it would continue to fail. I had this fear that at some point I'd have to close the doors. And in that moment I understood something. This was nothing about me. This was all about God. And this was a moment where a guy was saying those same words to me, I am with you. I'm not going to lie, the fear of failure was still there a little bit. But I look back and it's like, we took this step, we took this, this risk, this faith journey. And here's where we are today. And it may not have been what we expected, maybe even what others expected, but we still were reaching people that were far from God. People were still taking their next steps towards Jesus. And in the end, I realized this is God's. In my life, it's God's too. I don't have to be stuck in that place ever again. I don't have to fear failure. I, I just have to be faithful to what God's called me to and follow that leading in those steps in my life and understand, again, that God is with me. Let me go back to my story a little bit earlier. Because uh, some of you, you have not gotten beyond that I didn't finish my story while I was up to bat. And you haven't heard a word I've said since then. So let me finish it for you. So it's uh, two strikes on me, right? First one I watched, second one I swung at and missed. Looked at my coach. He's like, hey, get up there and hit. That's why I put you in there. And um, third one, the pitcher again. Smart, throws me a curveball, starts down the middle. He had amazing control, I believe. But starts down the middle, down, out, and, and away. And, and, I, and I swing. I know that was a terrible swing. Anybody that's judging my swing, I didn't want to hit the table here. Anyway, I swung. Strike three, you're out. 
totally missed the ball. Here's the deal. I think about that quite often. I've gone to counseling many years to get beyond it, and I feel like I'm in a better place now because of that. But for some of us, that moment would define us for the rest of our lives. Like we would hold on to that failure right then and right there forever. And somewhere that's written, you know, Chad Simpkins played here then and his batting average is zero, 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 right? He had one at bat, he struck out, no hits, that's it. I mean, that was my last time ever at bat or playing in a game. And for some of us, we'd hold on to that. And we'd never be able to let go of that. But I look at that and I was like, that's just a moment. That was just an experience, an event that took place. Hey, I can move beyond that. I can keep going in my life. Now, again, some of you are like, Chad, that's really small. I get it. But even those big things in life, when I fear failure, it's great to be able to look out and say, hey, every single one of you fail too. And it's great to know that I can overcome that failure. And in the end, that I can take those steps in my faith journey so I can follow God and let God lead me. Even when that fear is still kind of there, I can say, hey, God, I'm going to take this step with you. And you know what God says back to me? And you know what God says to you? I will be with you. As we head into our time of communion this morning, you know, we think about failure. And when we think about failure, failure for us spiritually is sin. That we give in over and over and over again. And maybe for some of us, we fear failure so much, we're afraid to take any steps. And we think we're doing what's right because we kind of isolate ourselves. We don't live our life. I believe God says, live your life. But live it by following Christ. Because here's the deal, you're going to sin. Every day we will sin. Romans 3.23, it says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us fail every day. But thankfully, God looked at us and said, Hey, here's the deal. You're a failure, but you're forgiven. And I want you to do all you can to follow me, to follow Christ, to live out his teachings, to be the, the person that Christ was. And guess what? You're going to mess up. You're going to fail me. But like with the Israelites, I have incredible grace and mercy and unconditional love for you. That's why we take communion, to be reminded of that grace and love and mercy God has for us. That even though we may be failures, God is still with us today. So I'm going to invite you right now, if you're in this room, to grab the wafer. If you're at home, wherever you may be, you've got some bread or something there, you can grab that and and let's just be reminded that we we are failures let's take the bread as we take the juice let's be reminded that we're forgiven though and we can live our lives following Jesus and then when we fall we can get back up but there's more to life than being stuck there's this ability to succeed and i mean specifically in our spiritual walk with god as we do all we can to follow christ and we are reminded of that through this emblem today let's drink together god we are more than grateful that you have this unconditional love for us that you care for us that Like Israel, you have so much grace and mercy for us. God, we do fail you every day, and you still love us. 
You're still there to pick us up and tell us to wipe off our knees and wipe off our hands and keep going. And we fall again. You're there again for us over and over and over again. And God, I, I pray that you would continue to lead us. That God, we could take those steps, those, those faith risks that we need to take, that first step towards you, that next step towards you, that, that you can lead us through those moments where we feel like we're failures. God, maybe there's somebody here today, somebody online who needs to take that first step. That they, they look at their life and they're stuck in this fear of failure, but they need to fully follow Jesus. And maybe they need to take that step of baptism. God, we just, we just invite your spirit to just move in them so that we can talk to them about what this looks like to, to fully follow Christ. God, in our failures, in this fear that we have, our prayer is that we will always know that you will always be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.